Let's take our Bibles and we're going to continue in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Entitled this morning's message, Not Fashioning Yourselves After the World. Romans 12, 2, don't turn there, but tells us, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You and I, Christian, need to have our mind renewed, and then that should result in us looking different than the world, right? You know, the problem is, so often, and I see this happening more and more, where Christians are trying to pattern themselves after the old ways. Churches trying to look like the world to try to attract the world. You go to many churches today, matter of fact, I seen a new church being built, and I noticed on the entire building are no windows. Because even down to controlling the lighting has become a major thing in churches. Now, I sometimes wish we could darken this room more than we do, but you know what? I do like natural light too, don't you? We need actually windows to open and get fresh air. Wouldn't that be neat? On the days we can. But you go in the church, and I don't know. To me, I just terms bother me because this is not a stage. And I hate when you go to church and, well, up on the stage. Well, stage to me insinuates performance. It's platform. That's why I call it pulpit. It's elevated. The pulpit of wood that Jeremiah stood on. I mean, that's what it should be, right? And it's, it's an altar, it's a place where you can come and kneel and pray and, 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 you know, get things right with God. I mean, that's what it's about, right? And then the lights and the flashing lights and the smoke machines and the guitars and the, and the and nothing wrong with a guitar, but you know what I'm saying, just the, the way that it looks like a rock concert when you go in there. And then the preacher comes in massively casually and... I don't know if that should tr trouble me as much as it does, but, you know, there was a very specific dress that God had for the priest when they were to minister, and I believe if we're coming to worship God, our dress is not about trying to impress each other, but we are coming to worship a holy God, and I think even our dress should reflect that, don't you? But so many things. Then we have little coffee shops in the church. Now, we have a fellowship room. Okay, and I do get some eyebrows raised sometimes, and I say to people, we have a fellowship room, and we have a time of fellowship between the services, and that we don't have an evening service. I've had some eyebrows raised, and people look at me like, oh, you've gone off the rails. And I explain to them, we have not gone off the rails. I said, it just works best for our people. It's something we tried, and it really, everybody liked it. And uh, I said, it seems to give people more time with family on a Sunday. Um, People seem more refreshed when they go to work. People seem to retain more. So I think it works. And the crowd that's here on the early morning is the same crowd that's here on what used to be here on the Sunday evening. And so people's faithfulness really didn't change either way. Just didn't. So since this is the crowd that was coming on Sunday evening, and this is the crowd that said, Pastor, we actually prefer the early morning. Then this is the crowd that really should have probably made that decision alone. But anyhow, moving on, right? And if you guys want to change it back, we can. I mean, it's not that big a deal, right? Let's see out here. See head shaking, though. No, we like this. <laughs> but that didn't put us over the edge, making us look like the world. And then we get all this attire that makes us want to look just like the world. And we want to wear our hairstyles just like the world. And we want to have everything about us just be as close as we can to the world. 
Why? Now, again, I'm not trying to sit there and give a legalistic list of do's and don'ts, okay? I'm not going to be one of the guys that in the 70s preach that wire rim glasses are sinful, okay? Because they're not. I, I mean, there were some ridiculous things that have happened trying to correct some of this. But the truth is, folks, is now we've gone the other way to where we don't preach about being different than the world. And now, as a matter of fact, the church tries to be just like the world. How much of the world can I look like and not cross the line? Well, why are we so worried about getting so close to the line? So that's what we're going to address this morning as we look at 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. Of course, in society, the world tries to mold everybody to conform to be the same. And it's interesting to me, all the young people that want to be individuals end up looking just like everybody else, trying to be individuals. And, you know, oh, I want to be my own person. And then they do all these weird things to look just like everybody else does. The word that's translated conformed in Romans is translated fashioning in this passage. So Peter gives us five exhortations in this passage that will keep us from fashioning ourselves after the world. Again, 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, that's the same as conforming in Romans. Verse 15, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversations, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. So here's the five exhortations. We need to strap up. We need to sober up. We need to stand up. We need to straighten up. And we need to saint up. Now, I don't know if that's a real word, but I made it up if it isn't. And it is now. The first three exhortations concern our mind. The last two deal with our actions. And so let's look and see how we can follow these exhortations to not fashion ourselves after the world. Father, again, pray you give us wisdom and guidance as we examine your word this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Strap up. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your minds. The gird up has the idea of bind up or make one's mind ready. So remember... They had, in this time, a loose outer robe. Well, if you want to run, you don't want this long, loose outer robe just dangling. You want to be able to get rid of the restrictions. So they would use a, um, they would gird up the loose outer robe so to shorten the garment, not to impede motion. And it was done by runners, as I said, also during the time of Passover, is ready for a journey. So it was a way to shorten up the robe a little bit. Now, not immodestly, okay, but it was shorten it up. So instead of hanging down probably around your ankles or probably closer to your knee, giving you a little more flexibility of movement. So you and I need to gird up our minds. The words of Christ in Luke 12, 35, let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. In other words, we need to ensure our minds are not impeded by sinful thoughts. We need to keep our minds focused on God, focused on his word, ready to share the word of God, ready to give an answer, as Peter says. Are our minds ready? Are our minds set? Are we strapped up, ready to give 
not being impeded, uh, ready to give the word, not being impeded by sin in our lives. You see, as I said before, thoughts will come out in action. The right thought is going to equal the right actions. So our minds need to be girded up. We need to be thinking every thought that comes across our minds, we need to uh, check it and see, as 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells us, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now think of that. Bringing in captivity every thought. Now, I forget the number, but it's a many thought to go through your mind every day. You know, when you're sitting there and somebody says, what are you thinking? And you say nothing. The truth is, is that's really not true because there's always something going on in your mind. Right? You ever think about how many thoughts you have in a day? Now, the Bible tells us, bring every thought in captivity to the obedience of Christ. In other words, every thought you have, you need to bring it in check and say, Lord, does this meet the standard, yes or no? If it's no, then you need to dismiss that thought and change your thinking. Now, how often does that happen, right? Maybe it's something, you know, somebody says. Maybe you walk into a store and it's a song playing on the radio and it just brings back thoughts that are impure thoughts, maybe something from your past. You need to bring that into captivity and realize it. As soon as you realize it, ask God to help you change your thoughts. Start quoting scripture. Sing a, sing a gospel song or something like that to help change what you're thinking because you don't want those thoughts rolling around in your head. Now, that's an all-the-time, everyday task, isn't it? But Christian, that is what you and I ought to be doing, is controlling every thought that comes into our head. Too often I hear, well, it just came across my mind, so I just said it, I just did it, or whatever. Then you're not in control of your thinking. You need to gird up your mind. You need to get those thoughts in captivity. So what does your mind run to? We need to fill our mind with the Word of God. Psalm 119.9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So as we think of strapping up, girding up our minds, you and I need to realize our minds are dwelling on something. I can tell what most minds are dwelling on and what's important to you by having a five-minute conversation with you. And you can do the same. If you talk to somebody and allow them to direct a conversation within five minutes, you'll know what their mind's dwelling on, won't you? Some is their job. Some is their hobbies. Some is their recreation. Some is their family. But may I ask, and I include myself in this, how few of us, if we're allowed to direct a conversation, do we really start talking about God? Because if he's on our mind, should that not be where we take the conversation? So we need to strap up. Secondly, verse 13 also tells us we need to sober up. Has the idea of being self-controlled. He says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. Allow the Spirit of God to control you. Now, you've heard this verse many times, Ephesians 5.18, And be not drunk with wine, where it's in excess, but be filled with the Spirit, or controlled by the Spirit. And yes, the contrast is there in the, in the way that alcohol takes control of an individual. You and I are to allow the Holy Spirit of God to control us. 
Now, the Holy Spirit of God is not going to control you to act like a drunk. And it troubles me when you see again in some churches people doing the same things that people under the influence of alcohol will do, claiming that the Spirit of God is moving them. Now, I do agree that sometimes in our independent Baptist churches, we are a little stifled and don't express our joy or our, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe the Spirit's moving a little bit in our lives. You know, somebody raises their hand and we're all like, what just happened? Okay. But we're not going to do this weird stuff of passing out on the floor and flopping like a, a dead chicken or running up and down the pews or all the weird stuff that some of them do, okay? Because honestly, folks, I don't see how that can't be just show. Okay, but there are times when the Spirit of God is moving and you just want to praise God. It's okay, it's okay to lift your hands and holy praise to God. Okay? It's okay to say amen. It's okay to shout out hallelujah once in a while. It's okay to get excited about the things of God. Okay, so don't let the Pentecostals steal our joy that we have in Christ. Okay? Just because we're fearful we might look like them, maybe just a little bit we can learn something. It involves walking with integrity, integrity and not being soon angry. Romans 13, 13, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and oneness, not in strife and envy. Proverbs 29, 22, an anger man stirreth up strife and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. But if we're going to learn to be sober, it also requires being alert. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, Therefore let us not sleep as others do, as others, as do others, but let us watch and be sober. 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Now again, many in this room have stood some type of watch where you had to be alert, to be sober, to be steadfast, to be paying attention to your surroundings because others may be sleeping, may be working, may be whatever the case may be, and you now are the one that is responsible for watching over the others. So that's the kind of the same idea. So we need to strap up, sober up, and then verse 13 again, we need to stand up. Wherefore, gird up your loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Stand fast in the hope we have in Christ. You know, as we were working yesterday, Brother Al said, basically, just take your time. This is a marathon, not a sprint. Well, if you've ever dug holes before, that's exactly a good way to put it. Because it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. You can go gung-ho, but I promise you, you're going to be wore out in 10 minutes. And you're going to die. Not literally, but you're going to wish you had. Or you can pace yourself and take it nice and easy. Of course, one of the individuals out there said, you know, they make this thing called a backhoe. It's like, yeah, that would be very difficult to get in here. But anyhow, and trust me, it was thought about, but we had to hand dig it. But so is the Christian life, a marathon and not a sprint. One of the hardest things 
in pastoring is watching those who quit. Sometimes you wonder, how can you possibly think that quitting is the answer? But Hebrews 12.1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We need to keep going. Going. Don't quit. Don't quit. Well, you don't know what so-and-so did to me or said about me. So what? Get over it and move on. Get it right between you and them and move on. But we also, Christian, can't live in past victories. Philippians chapter 3, verse 11 Paul says, If by any means I might attain unto resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either already perfect, but I follow after that I may apprehend, for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's interesting, the Apostle Paul and if we would even look at this point in his life, say, wow, he's already done so much. He says, look, I can't sit there and take time to be uh, relishing in all the victories of the past. I need to keep pressing on because there's still more work to do. And as long as you and I have breath, there is still more work to be done. But we need to also not become discouraged. Sometimes the race is difficult, is it not? I remember when I was in the Navy, especially when I was stationed with the Marine Corps, they used to go on what they called fun runs. Whoever named them that needs to be taken out back and shot. There is no such thing as a fun run. However, there'd be many times on the fun runs, especially when they decide we're going to run in boots and utes. Now, running in running shoes is one thing. Running with combat boots, that's a whole different ball game. Is it right? <laughs> And even though the Marine Corps knows it will tear your body up, they still make you run in combat boots. There was nothing fun about those runs, and it was very discouraging as everything in your body is screaming, just stop, this is hurting. But if you dared quit, they would reward you by putting you on some kind of remedial program where you get to run even more. And so that was motivation not to quit, was it not? <laughs> So just get it over, just keep going. You know, it is said the Navy SEALs training that you can quit anytime you want. It is a truly voluntary training. Now, could you imagine going through the grueling things that they have to go through, knowing you could quit at any time? When I was stationed for a school at a 14-week school at um, San Diego, California, and a bunch of us guys from the East Coast did not realize Pacific waters are cold. And so we went out to Coronado, and we went into water about waist deep, and then we went back and sat on the beach and said, yep, that was enough of that. That was cold water. But Coronado is also the island on which one of the SEALs training takes place, and we saw out off the surf these little figures and a helicopter flying over them, and it was the SEALs taking a lap around the island. I'm sitting there thinking, you know, if I went through that training, 
I would be one of the guys, from my understanding, they have a bell. If you go walk up to the quarter deck and ring the bell, you are relieved and they will find another assignment for you. You don't have to continue to go through the training as a SEAL. I feel I probably on day two, maybe, would have rung that bell like ding, 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 ding. Come on, man, I'm out of here. <laughs> I have also heard some and some of the exercises, they're just trying to eliminate maybe one more. And as soon as the guy goes quit, then they'll get let him out or whatever the exercise is. I don't want to be in the Christian race, that guy who quits at the last minute. Do you? Keep going. Keep going. This life is as hard as it's going to get, Christian. Let the glories of the hope of what we have in Christ motivate you to endure whatever you must while you're still here on earth. Because it's just going to be that much more glorious when we get there. That's a much better way of thinking about life than, oh, woe is me, things are so bad, my life is so bad. By the way, while every one of us has had bad things happen in our lives, instead of looking at others thinking how bad I am compared to them, let me tell you something, there is always somebody in this world that has it worse than you do. But remember, Jesus will return. We don't know when, but it's imminent. And I'll tell you one thing. I don't want to be the guy that just said, that's it, I quit, when the rapture happens to you. And then have to say, you know what? I was almost faithful to the end. Boy, that would be horrible, wouldn't it? So we need to stand up. Then in verse 14, as obedient children, we need to straighten up. Now, I got to straighten up because... Is that not one of the things we try to get children to obey, right? Remember in, with your kids, you know, as you're trying to teach them to sit still through a whole church service? Well, what are they doing? They're laying out on across the pew. They're sitting there finding something. Their fly flies by and they're chasing it or whatever. You know, we had years ago, this is no lie, we had a mama come and visit and she refused to put her child in the nursery and she gave her child toys and the child was actually crawling around through the aisles playing with the toys. And I approached her after the service. I said, ma'am, we really appreciate you being here. I said, but I got something I must tell you. I said, number one, we do have a nursery. And if you choose not to use it, I'm going to have to ask you to keep that child under control because that was extremely distracting for this entire church service. And I said, we just can't have that happening. I said, I'm not trying to be mean, but we really got to keep things under control. This is a very small room and that was very distracting. She got mad and left and never came back. I didn't know how else to handle it. Because I literally was having a hard time keeping focused on preaching as everybody's watching this kid pushing toys down the aisles. And I thought, you know what? That is not conducive for a church service. Something must be done about it. I am thankful for parents that dad somehow had that go-go gadget extendo arm to go around mom, around my brother, and thump on the back of the head when I was disobeying and acting up in church. And if that didn't work, then he would look at me and he would be like this, and we would go out for a little board of education meeting, right? And then I would learn to sit still during church. By the way, and I understand it can be difficult. And I understand as a boy, we made many of those trips. And I understand with my son, I don't know how many church services I felt like I missed the whole thing because we would have to make trip after trip after trip. I get it. But you know what frustrates me? Parents say, why, well, I can't do it. Well, eventually they do learn. 
So Christians, so it is in our Christian life. Sometimes we act just like children, and God corrects us. And then we act like children again, and God corrects us. But how about we start to learn to grow up and start being obedient and stop having God have to chasten us? Because, folks, we all have areas in our lives where we need to grow. I get it. We do. But we, as we mature in the faith, should we not understand when God points something out, God convicts me of something in my life, or he chastens me because I've, I've disobeyed again or whatever, should we not start to learn a little quicker and change a little faster? You'd think. But sometimes I feel like we're like little children, but we need to straighten up, learn to obey. As we sing, obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Simply obeying the commands of Scripture. Because our obedience demonstrates our heart attitude. Matthew 21, 28 through 31. Go ahead and uh, take your Bibles. Let's turn back there. Matthew 28, 21 rather. Matthew 21. We'll be in Matthew 28 later today. Matthew 21, verse 28. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whither them twain did the will of his father? And they said to him, The first. Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Look, I understand. Sometimes God convicts you of something. You're like, oh, no, Lord, not that. But let's have that tender heart as this first son who, although he told his dad no, he repented and went and did it. And not like the second son who puts on the show of, oh, yes, Lord, I'm going to obey you. See, and I feel sometimes this happens too. You know, we hear a message and we are under conviction and we say, yes, Lord, I'm going to fix that in my life. And then we go out and keep right doing the same thing anyhow. Okay. But when he convicts again, then how about we say, Lord, I failed last time. And I can't without your strength. So, Lord, this time you make the change. Right? But we've got to learn to obey simply following the commands of Scripture. Because it demonstrates our heart attitude. So our obedience should be from a heart of love for Christ and not a desire to please people. But our disobedience takes us back to the former lust. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Because you disobeyed God in ignorance before salvation. Go back again to verse 14. As obedient children, not fashioned according to former lust and ignorance. You did it before in ignorance. Now you know better. So why do you want to do the same things? Right? There were things you did before you saved, but you didn't know that they necessarily were wrong. Now God has taught you that those things you should not do, then why do you want to go back to them? Because James 4.4, James says, The adulterers and adulteresses know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Remember something. James is writing to Christians as he says, You adulterers and adulteresses. What James is saying, now get this, Christian. Remember, Romans chapter 7, we, the, we, the law could not die. We were married to the law, so we died and are now uh, freed to marry again in Christ. And we have Christ now as our bridegroom, right? Romans chapter 7 explains that. Okay, so now we are the bride of Christ, 
Yet when I go back to the things of the world, according to James chapter 4 and verse 4, I am committing spiritual adultery. Now think of that. You adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not the friendship of the world is enmity with God. When I go back to the things of the world, I am committing spiritual adultery against my Savior. That's pretty powerful. It's pretty serious. So Christian, you and I need to understand, I need to obey and not look back at the world and say, oh, the good old days. Kind of like the Israelites when they finally are out in the wilderness. Instead of looking back at the taskmasters and looking at the whips and looking at the stripes on their backs and thinking of how horrible it was in slavery in Egypt, they're sitting there whining because Moses brought us out here in the wilderness to die and we don't have food and we don't have water and wah, 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 wah. Oh, the good old days back in Egypt when we used to sit around the flesh pots and we used to have leeks and melons and garlic and all this good stuff back in the... Remember the good old days back in Egypt? Oh yeah, man, that was good old times we had back there. As both of them are sitting there with stripes down on their back, scars all over their back from the whips, but they forgot about all that. All they remember is the good old times. Listen, Satan will try to tempt you to think about the old life as the good old times, but you forget the bondage that you were in, and there is nothing, nothing in the old life that is worth going back to. Then verses 15 and 16, we need to saint up. Again, if that's not a real thing, just put it in your notes because it rhymes. And if you're an English major and say that's not a real thing, I suppose you can come tell me afterward. Be holy. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. You know, I am so tired of the expression, well, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. That doesn't even make sense. Jesus Christ was from heaven. And you know, he did a lot of earthly good. He is God himself. He is holiness incarnate. God's standard for the Christian is holiness. Now, none of us are going to reach that, this side of glory. Although I know some who think they do. But we're to be set apart to or by God, consecrated, holy, morally pure, or upright. This cannot happen in the flesh. By the way, this is why it's important you and I take into captivity every thought. Because, again, the thoughts are going to equate to actions. Every thought needs to come into captivity. In order for this to happen, we need to have the indwelling Holy Spirit controlling us. Because there's no good thing in the flesh. Don't trust your heart. Don't follow your heart. Your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Follow Christ. But at the end of verse 15, he says, So be ye holy in all manner of conversation." Again, conversation, not talking just about our speech, but all areas of life. Not just when I'm going to church, I put on the spiritual me, and then when I leave church, I put on the real me. How about the real me and the church me be the same me? Because otherwise it's called hypocrisy. You should have consistent standards. You know, one of the most frustrating things I find in my life is trying to remain consistent all the time. I don't know if you struggle with it, but trying to be 100% consistent is difficult. Let me give you a few illustrations. It is natural to want to treat my family at a different level 
if you will, than others. Now, understand, I'm going to protect my family. I, my family is more important to me. Okay, there are those aspects, but I'm saying as far as special privileges, if you will, I as a pastor need to be careful that in this church, I treat my family as any other member. Again, not trying to have a double standard, but you under, I hope you understand what I'm saying. Okay? Um, when we're here... Yes, that's still my wife, okay? And she always will be. But we don't give special privileges, if you will, okay? Um, or maybe better would be, there are certain people treating all members equally. How about that? Maybe that'd be a better way of saying it. Just treating everybody with the same compassion, the same heart, the same uh, time. So in that, my family and I need to be careful we don't have special friends in the church, Okay? but we treat all equally, trying to be consistent, not being hypocritical. Don't take one situation and blow it out of proportion and take another situation to treat it lightly. Treat all equally. Isaiah 29, 13, Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Jesus quoted this in Matthew 15, 8. His people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So as we sing up, as we live holy, we need to give God control of our speech, our dress, our desires, our music, what I watch on TV, what I see on the internet, where I go. Every area of my life needs to be controlled by the Spirit of God. And ask this question. If I were to do this activity, if I were to dress this way, if I were to, whatever the case may be, fill in the blank, here's some questions you can ask. Number one, can I do this and please Christ? Can I do this and bring honor to Christ? Can I, if a lost person sees me doing this or acting this way or saying this thing, will I lose opportunity to share the gospel with them? You see, we need to learn to limit ourselves, not always based on the liberty we have in Christ, but also by the conscience of others, because it's called a testimony, and sometimes my actions are limited, not because it's wrong, but because of the impression it might give to a lost individual with whom I want to share the gospel, and their eternal soul should matter more to me than my liberty to do what I want to do. But too often I hear this, well, they're just going to have to suck it up because I'm allowed to do it, and I want to do it, so I'm just going to go do it anyhow. All right, then what you are saying when you say that is my desire is more important than their eternal soul. I don't care if they go to hell because I want to do what I want to do. I want you to think about that for just a moment. When you say, I'm going to do what I want to do because I'm allowed to do it and I don't care what people think, that's really not living a holy life. Now, I also understand we can't go around being concerned about every little time somebody might get their feelings hurt about something, okay, especially in the touchy-feely society in which we live today, okay, and, and by the way, what I'm also not saying is that we should excuse sin or overlook sin or, or accept sin, because see, this argument is what the 
LGBT community and all these others want to use against us. Well, you're supposed to be accepting. That's not what the Bible says. Show me one place in the Bible that says, I have to accept your sin. It doesn't. I am to love you, and I love you enough to tell you what you're doing is wrong, and if you don't get saved, and it has nothing to do with your homosexuality, it has to do with the fact that you're a sinner, and if you do not accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are going to hell. Now, not saying exactly like that, but you follow my point that that actually is loving them. Now, they claim it's not, but I promise you one thing. When they're standing at the great white throne judgment, they're going to appreciate the fact that you love them. Or they'll realize at that point, I should say, that it was love. But if they do accept Christ, they'll appreciate the fact that you loved them enough to tell them. They may not understand now that it truly is love, but they will understand one day when they bow before Christ. Will they not? Well, we're out of time. So five exhortations keep us from fashioning ourselves after the world. We need to strap up, sober up, stand up, straighten up, and saint up. Let us not be, or let us be transformed by the renewing of our mind, not being conformed to this world. Christian, you and I need to be different than the world.